0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 65 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. Um, Guys, I'm going to be straight with you. Uh, I've had a really fascinating guest on tonight. Uh, We've talked about, I mean, we've covered a shit ton of ground. We've talked about European history, about left and right, and how these sort of patterns of shifting from left to right, or communism to royalty and tradition and back out to trade unions, like, all of that stuff. It's really fascinating stuff. But, as I say, I'm going to be straight with you, uh, the audio quality that Skype have served to us tonight has been somewhat below expectation. Uh, And, like, weirdly, I was saying to my girlfriend earlier this week, like, what am I going to do if the quality, like, the tech just gives out at the beginning of the episode... Or midway through the episode, and I've got someone important on, like a published author or like a broadcast journalist, or so. Like we were sort of laughing about it. I was like, you know, because part of the romance of running your own independent podcast is that it's like, yeah, I'm independent, and and then, but actually, the con to it is, I, I mean, I've said this before on other episodes. The con to it is like that. I there's no budget to it. I'm literally doing this, <laughs> I'm like what's it called a toenail budget thumbnail budget uh so yeah like skype have kind of fucked us over a little bit uh so the audio's is f- fine ish but he does sort of his wi-fi connection appears to drop out a little bit here and there um anyway i hope that you will stick with us and that you get as much out of the conversation as i got i thought it was really fascinating and so much refresher stuff there in terms of what you learned at school and what you'd completely forgotten ever took place in Europe. Um, Please stick around for the next hour. Uh, My guest this week is published author Neil Pitts. And we are live on a Friday night at eight o'clock. Welcome to episode 65 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments uh, on this most fucked up of weeks uh i think it has to be said um uh i I'd originally booked tonight's guest um a few weeks ago uh before all of the events of this week uh took place uh and seeing um seeing uh putin renege on his commitment that it was all just training exercises and uh and that it was just the west being hysterical and so on and and now seeing the the invasion progress and mature in such a disturbing and violent way um and appropriately or inappropriately enough uh, my guest tonight is uh, a published author uh, of a book and he and i um got chatting via twitter as as i do with many of my guests um and our, the phone conversation that it spawned uh, was around the sort of uh, the, the recurring themes that come back to influence and to, um, to shift our political modes that we subscribe to in society uh, and, and indeed civilization itself. Um, I thought he'd be a fantastic, uh, fascinating guest to bring on tonight um, because he's written this book and I'll give you the name of it now. It's Postmodernity. Well, that, that's if I can pronounce the last word in it. It's uh, post-modernity and the creation of the Anthropocene. How our, our current period evolved out of history and where it is going. Uh, and it informed the conversation that he and I had um, going back a few weeks now um, about Labour and Conservative and the dynamic between the two of them and the history be- uh, between those two parties. Um, but I suppose a lot of the themes within that book and and within the conversation that we had... Um, could also be expanded around other nations around the world and, and perhaps hopefully bring a bit of clarity to understanding why we are where we are and and what the next steps are for, for Western liberal democracy. So my guest tonight, welcome to the show, Mr. Neil Pitts. Welcome.
1: Hi there, Aide. Thank you very much. Uh,
0: how are you doing tonight? Are you okay? You've got your milk and your tea. Um...
1: Mm -hmm. um i think i think i had a bit of long COVID actually and i'm a bit exhausted but i've done a massive script actually about five thousand words that i can draw on and it's all about the history of british politics and framing that in the global situation and then framing that against the history of human civilization so um so so i think i've got enough
0: a lot to get stuck to keep you happy yeah um do you want to give uh, give the listeners and or viewers um a bit of a bio like your your background how you came to write because this is quite in-depth subject matter right you didn't just kind of fall into this how how did you how did you become interested in it and and go on to write a book about it
1: <laughs> okay the truth is that we were at Peter peter's in winchester in about 1989 and a group of us in my history class were just talking about if it was possible to write a general theory of history and so i asked the teacher i said look is, is there a general theory you know of the whole of history which we could we could talk about which we could read and it would help us out and he said no no it's not possible because there are too many perspectives and and i said well you know so then isn't it just a case of resolving those perspectives mathematically and he said no, no it's just not possible so ever since then I kind of had the clear idea that it was possible if the right material could be gathered and what I did was I kind of took about nine different A levels and worked for my mom for a bit um, as a newspaper um, agent supervising kids with um, deliveries and um, and this gave me time to do, to do a lot of you know dropping out of college and I managed to win a scholarship back into University of Leeds having studied subjects like classics, and art, and photography, and um, English, mathematics, physics, and you know, like a cross-section of of history, politics, economics, you know, just generally bits of things. But kind of I I started building a framework, really, and I wanted to compare Eastern mysticism with Western physics. At, at the University of Leeds, and I wrote to them. I got a scholarship from the um, senior tutor there, Dr. Keith Jones, who was really great and took me under his wing. Mm. And he said, "Look, you know, this could be really interesting. What you're doing here?" And I said, "Look, you know, the the idea of singularity in in physics, you know, in physics, you've got the event, the event horizon, you know, in the Einsteinian model of physics. You've got this this sort of universe with um, the way the event has come into being is through." through what's called the event horizon and nobody can see over the event horizon in terms of what's what's actually gonna happen. So in Eastern mysticism, I it just is. It just all exists at the same time and two kind of mutually opposed viewpoints. So I I was talking to the lecturers while I was there yeah. about, you know, is there any chance that we could we could look at the mathematics of these, these models and see if we can we can create a a resolution, because whatever it is that I'm looking for in terms of my general theory is going to have to arise out of this. This can I just just wait wait for that?
0: two seconds. So, I, I just want to make mm. sure that I'm understanding this correctly. So, you were taking a history class um, in Winchester, you said, um, yeah, and uh, your your lecturer or tutor had said that it was impossible to to wrap a sort of consistent uh, theory that would explain various historical events and shifts and changes um and what you were looking yes. to do I, I like proceeding after that was to effectively wrap order around the chaos of history is that broadly right well well yeah, like, yeah not i mean not exactly but but
1: essentially the same in a nutshell but but to really to explain it to find the common denominator which, which, um, to, to find out about how the history of the situation has produced the way that events are happening.
0: Okay, cool, sorry, carry on. So, yeah.
1: so to find out enough, really, mm, about how the world worked in order to, you know, it was during the Cold War at the time, it was just at the end of the Cold War. So of course, there was a lot of secrecy in terms of government. There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of maneuvering on both sides in relation to each other. And then even when the, the Berlin Wall fell and um, the Soviet Union, it, it was very, very much not explained what had happened. And I seem to remember Condoleezza Rice, the American Foreign Secretary, said that we knew more about where we were going than, the, the sorry, well, where we've been actually than, than where we were now going. And there was this period of uncertainty really before the problem of terrorism um, arose over the 9 11 attacks on um, the United States. And then all of a sudden it was chaos again, you know, a new crisis and all that sort of thing. And um, really I thought there was a great opportunity there to, to have an explanation of, of what happened, what caused the cold and, and now how we could build a sustainable peace. Mm. And it just all seems to have then fallen apart again. So after that point, really, I was determined to find out really what was going on because it didn't really seem to make sense. Yeah, world leaders seem to manage the situation on a daily basis and they seem to create this world of order for themselves and they live in it and everybody else kind of wonders what's going on so is it just a case of raw power you know do they literally make their empire with a military and blah, blah blah you know manipulating politics but actually you know a lot of the the way that these world um political systems seem to work in relate each other makes a lot of sense and it seems that there must be an answer in the way that the world situation had evolved, which I could get to, I suppose, if I studied enough history, and that's what I started doing. I see. Okay. I started studying vast quantities of history.
0: Yeah. And so, at what point did you go? Right. Okay. I'm going to write the book on this. Was that? Because I, I mean, I mean this in the nicest way, <laughs> most flattering way possible, and respectful way. Uh, but like, I, I think a lot of people have these sort of these theories uh and and I know I've had moments of uh, clarity if you can call them that after a, a few puffs of weed at a festival or so it's like well, there must be some sort of driver some sort of reason why these events keep happening and why these cycles continue and um but what, yeah, yeah. what is it that made you kind of go like right I'm gonna actually do this
1: okay it, it was okay it's the fact that that in the I really know and even even back at college it was nagging me at break time you know nagging me during the lectures you know it was nagging at me when i was thinking this is where my whole career is going and i don't even know when i just take control of the situation i find out mm. am i brave enough to drop out of college and maneuver around and take the courses which i need to take in order to get this done and then i can record what i'm doing on the way and whatever it is that cover it's got to be a lot more interesting, and I, I could on it. That's what, even at, well, I was sixteen at the time, and, and that's what I thought. I thought, All right, whatever happens here, I'm going to have something to publish, and this is going to be my career, you or been... I'm going to end up working for IBM or Currys or something like that. You
0: must have been quite a uh, a self-assured, mature sixteen-year-old because if I picked <sighs> up like my notepads of the shit I was writing <laughs> when I was sixteen, now.
1: I'd
0: be uh, like, okay oh, like I'm, yeah i don't think anyone needs to pick that up and carry on writing it like through their 20s and 30s and shit but but like well done for for persevering with it the uh the proof is in the pudding now with uh with the book finished um so so okay let, let's carry on along that uh that sort of linear uh trajectory so you started like keeping notes and developing the writing as 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 you were growing um and then at what point did you actually sit down and go like right it's going to be a book. Well,
1: OK, I think this all really started when I was about five and and um, I, I was <laughs> recorded with a really high IQ. Right. Um, and they sent me to, us to a sort of like special school and I didn't get on with that. They sent me back to the state school and I hated it. And by the time I got to college, there were, there were loads of people from public school and, you know, there were kids with loads of money and, kids, you know, all sorts of lifestyle was going on. And I just thought, right, this is my chance to go for it mm. and to just escape. And um, that that's really what it was all about to start with. It was all about me wanting to have my own life and um, and to produce something which was to my highest level. So it just happened that my mum was working as um, the area controller for a newspaper and she had little spare part-time jobs going. So it was just lucky that I had a car and I could drive, and I'm, um, you know, um, various things just fell into place. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to get, you know, do these college courses, and, you know, I had some fun intellectual friends. We went to a lot of parties. We did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we walked the dogs every day. You know, we had lots of chats. So I had plenty of support. Mm. And when I when I went. I'd to the University of Leeds and I thought right okay this is really serious now I've got to get the dog done so I was acting like a little spy and I was talking to all the lecturers and talking about how they did all the great theories you know and, like, and the, the, for some reason this framework started appearing in my mind about how the whole of science had developed and then it kind of became apparent that while the theory of the ancient period we were scattered through our civilization the theories of the modern period um, actually followed a distinct pattern right. from Copernicus through Newton to Einstein, and I d- this would not make sense to anybody unless you'd actually been there, unless I actually talk about it. Um, the thing is, you know, do you know, Napoleon, um, Copernicus did that model of the solar system and the stars right. that undermined the church. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the beginning of the of that period around 1500s, the Protestant Reformation, all of this. You know, the end of the power of the church and the of politics and science. And um, what happened during that period then was that Newton built on this with his Newtonian physics, which is like a complete map of the gravity and the forces and all the the energy uh, between planets and weights and distances. And it's a complete, you know physics system but then einstein came along and he he changed the whole system by measuring against the speed of light and that's what e equals mc squared was all about it was based on this thing called the Lorentz transformation which was a dutch um scientist mm. who was researching into electrodynamics and optics and he found the constant speed of light and then einstein thought right okay is it would be much more accurate to measure against the speed of light we could do this. He worked out the way of doing that. And um, he became, obviously, the famous scientist of uh, the 20th century. Um, but the, the question was really is, how did one um, move to the social sciences at the University of Winchester? I was putting all these theories together into my final year project. And um, I was trying to explain how the whole of human civilization evolved through scientific theories and from you know one civilization having superior science and technology and they invaded the next one you know so on and they invaded the next one but actually um what I found was that and this is the the funny thing about how the world works which i was saying to you before we went on yeah is that what actually happened was i actually found out how it really works and it, over time, it's it's like a transformation. You know, in terms of the periods of history, you've got the prehistory, you've got the ancient period, you've got the Middle Ages and the modern periods. Yeah. And then you've got post And now we're going to have the Anthropocene from about 2023. And really what happens over time is there is this great big like logarithm that transforms the way the world works over time. that's what all these great leaders understand and that's what most people don't understand and that's what i was saying about the labor and the conservatives about how we got into the situation where the leaders are kind of they understand what's happening but they're being pulled right and left by these global forces so they're, they're kind of managing it really. And that's so, what's maintaining a status quo.
0: So can we maybe like a Sorry, couple we of working, say... working examples would be really helpful. Like, so we're talking about like what world leaders, uh, understand, but what the general public may not. Um, can you think right. of any, any examples, like maybe over the 20th century or, or possibly more recently of where that sort of thing is evident?
1: well okay um what i say is um is that really it's in the way that the whole situation has evolved over time and that's why that's why people don't see it so much because uh, um for example in the ancient period these grammars evolved one period out of the next so for example you had the the first major civilization to unite was Egypt around 2700 BC. Mm. And then you had this little Sumerian society in Mesopotamia, which grew as it absorbed influxes of Semitic tribes coming out of North Africa and it grew into the Arcadian Empire. And it developed, It's it got really, at one point, it, it became taken over by the Semitic tribes and it became the Arcadian Empire. And then it was the Assyrian and Babylonian period. Right. Now, this became a, a huge center of global civilization, but perhaps not quite half of the world center at the time. But then it was taken over and conquered by the Persian Empire from the East, whose and, and it's in the book about how the, the, the religions developed and the ideas within philosophy and, and, and science developed. And as they as they grew over time, these civilizations, they new religious and and political ideas, which led to one group of people really kind of had a drive to conquer and become the new force. So Persia created a multicultural empire, which incorporated all all the states, like Judah, Babylonia, you know, all these these countries. Um, And then they found themselves at war with Greece as they challenged the, the early Greek democracy. Mm. So Greek got taken by Alexander the Great, the Empire there, and then after this, um, so then Greek Empire collapsed after invading. Per- but then, sorry to interrupt. But so where these yeah. different
0: civilizations have started and ended, and been taken over, and uh, and things have shifted. Yes, is there a yes. sort of what you were saying earlier about how you noticed a kind of pattern that was at play? Was there something that continue to kind of push these changes happening along the way
1: yeah well that's what i'm saying is that evolution is in the pattern it's in that pattern Mm. because because of the way that each took over the last so in the ancient world we can see this in quite a brutal sort of way but actually it's a lot more obvious it's a lot easier to look at than it is than if you look at the modern the modern nations where it's a bit more subtle so you've got the um, for example after the After the the initial early world order formed, the Mesopotamian empires were the biggest and they had the big religions and the the biggest empires. But then then Persia started to absorb political and religious change in India and China. And they started to produce a new religion which spoke of the world as a battleground between good and evil. And they got it into their heads that they could win this battle. Mm. by the Assyrian Empire who was oppressing them. Do you you see what I mean? It makes sense in terms of the way that events were happening at the time.
0: I think where where I was getting a little bit lost there was, so in terms of where we're talking about these sort of shifts, and and I was looking for like a pattern that might be governing or pushing that to happening. But I think it sounds like what you're saying is actually it is the change itself. That of moving from pillar to post yes. every so often that that upends the the civilisation or the society or the governing political party, uh, and that it's actually yes, just a, exactly a sort of natural mode that we work in. That every so often, after this period of time has has expired, then there will be a dramatic shift back towards another uh, to, towards the other side of the uh, the table. Does that make sense? Have I understood? Well, that yeah, right?
1: um, that. Yeah yeah yes that does yes absolutely um it, 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 in, yes the, the change is in the way the events are happening mm-hmm. and so so if i can carry on from okay you've got the greek empire which collapses then you've got the roman empire and the Roman emphasis on stability and so does han china in the east and they're both about the same size um and the kusha Parthian empires lie between them and we have a big period of globalization of trade increasing because we have this stability. So stability is then eventually what exhausts the Roman Empire and leads to the migration of the Germanic tribes which conquer it around 400. And in the meantime you've got Christianity emerging Mm. from within the the, the territories of the Roman Empire and they want to convert really the, 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 the Romans because the whole problem with the ancient world is all these competing empires. they just want to have like one atheistic religion that covers everything and there's a lot of importance in early christianity and the and in terms of the power of the church which emerged in the first thousand years a.d in Mm. europe became obviously the new force in europe so so you've got the fall of the roman empire and the migration of the germanic tribes across europe And then they are converted to Christianity by the Pope who gets into Rome. Right, yeah. And they convert the Franks, and the Franks create the Holy Roman Empire. So all of these events are all interconnected. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see. All all of this, the whole of this, this, we've got this evolved now. And of course, what does every educated person in the world learn at the time? They learn about the way that events happened and the way things are going now, and, and what are we going to do as a government, you know, how are we going to manage this? Um, so over time, you've got this gradual development of the education system, and the universities appear around the 1200s. Uh, so you've got like a growing body of, of, of learning mm. gradually turns into the modern universities. So you've got this this history and the tradition of the way of managing and the way of um, governing is embedded in these seats of learning so the, the holy roman empire become the biggest thing in europe and then obviously the mongols and islam in the east islam uh, is traded in the east because they don't want to convert to christianity so you know they are different um how shall i put it they're like a different set of tribes from the um they're all descended from abraham but the jews are are uh, on one side and the Arabs are on the other side, and they don't want to convert to the religion, they invent, invent their own. So you've got Islam, then you've got laws around 1206 um, expanding across Asia, and uh, eventually they convert to Islam, so that, that kind of takes care of that side of things, but in the West you've got this massive expansion of the Western European empires mm. as they take over the whole of the Americas. and that what happens to Europe's center is that the Spanish Empire becomes much bigger and more powerful than the Holy Roman Empire in the center. So you've got this war of the Spanish succession when um, the French take over the Spanish Empire and the Holy Roman Emperor, who is married to the Queen of Spain, wants to stop that from happening. So you've got the beginning here of a series of, of, of wars within Europe over the balance of power because the and the Holy Roman Emperor want to control the center. So, of course, through through the modern period then, you've got the Europeans take over the Americas Mm. and they create modern capitalism and they create European imperialism. And for that reason, uh, there's the Protestant Reformation within the church. And then there's the rise of these big political and scientific ideas, which lead to the rise of modern government so i so basically you've got Britain, france the spanish empire is pretty dead actually at this point because it's not really going anywhere and Britain and france are competing for global dominance in the americas and in india mm. and then after that you've got american independence and the french revolution so if you follow the development of politics the the, the way that the you know that these sides of right and left have evolved to this point are really two sides of the same coin aren't they even though we've got any we've sort of got an and west evolving out of africa you know that from the early period of mesopotamia you, you know you've got the early eastern empires and then you've got the later kind of western um empires so
0: after it, after about is it fair to say that and and i've, I've sort of let you uh talk talk for, um like to, to get through the the breadth of that, if you like, because um, I think it's really important to to take people through the entire history of uh, of how these shifts and changes have taken place and how many of them there have been. Because yeah. I think when you go through the British state school education system, as I did. Um, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, well, World, world War Two happened and there were these guys called the Tudors before that. And uh, then there was the Middle Ages and you can make, you know, in, in when you're 12, you can make a little Middle Ages fort or something. And then, yeah, OK, great. But like when you <laughs> yeah. come out at 16, you're like, well, I guess I know history now. Um, but it's actually really important to, to to drill some of this stuff into people's heads. Like there's so much stuff there that I either was not aware of or had completely forgotten took place um that it's it's definitely it's super valuable to just get that quick refresher um i was going to say though is it is it fair to say because I, I recall something in our conversation that we had a few weeks ago um that where you have like the conservative party and then you have the Labour Party and you have these sort of these pulls to the right and these pulls to the left is it fair to say that through the centuries that the pull from the right is to sort of go back to this kind of conservative with a small c kind of almost a return to regal uh ruling um castles kings absolute power uh and then on the left occasionally like i guess now it would be you know every 12 years or so there is then a sort of renewed appetite for uh uh progressive values like come on we need to take care of our own we need to like invest in hospitals education 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 like all of that stuff comes up flourishing again and then once i don't know something else happens then there's a shift back to traditional values and the queen and flags and um could you talk a little bit about that perhaps
1: okay um yes i think well i okay i know that the 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 broader swings in left and right generally attributed to swings in global politics. So I will explain that, and I can explain the Ukraine crisis, actually, through this. Um, in terms of the ideologies of the right and left mm. in Britain, mm. they both see themselves as the true way to create progress. That's, that's the point. Right. Politics became heavily divided during... The, the period between the early modern period and the postmodern period, which is just about we're at the end of now, and what happened was that because the Europeans took over the Americas, their form of capitalism was incapable of reform. It was well known, and socialism it, socialism appeared because of it, and because of really because of the failed French Revolution then a lot of the socialists moved towards communism when that appeared. And really, the people on the right, the people in the church, they didn't see the point in this at all, that this was not the way progress was supposed to be created. Right. Oh,
0: have I I lost the way that... Got a little bit of a bad signal there. Carry on. I I think I've got you again. (laughs) Go. Okay.
1: Right, okay. I hope. I hope
0: we haven't lost you. Linking imp Sorry, it's a very uh very patchy Can you not hear me? Yeah, very patchy connection. You keep sort of freezing Neil. Um are you're somewhere with a okay like Wi Fi and everything, are you?
1: Yeah, it's been fine until just now. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's let's crack on. Let's see how we go. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. In in the in the modern, period, you've got the, the 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 creation of these massive European empires, and they linked imperialism with capitalism. So the money that came back from the colonies and the raw materials that came back, were you jobs at home? Mm. Which was managed in this. So people were starting to criticize capitalism for refusing to reform. We know that it couldn't because of the way that the situation was happening. But that criticism turned into socialism, and then it turned into the French Revolution, and then it turned into communism. By the day, Karl Marx had written a critical appraise of the capitalist system mm. and what the problem with it actually was. Can you see? He- I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this was well received, and a lot of socialists actually moved over to communism. So we have this massive polarization in politics, which obviously turned into the Soviet Union during the Cold War, the whole of the Cold War period. And yet, still, Western capitalism carries on seeing itself as the, as the way forward. Now, the reason for this primarily. It's because the USA broke away before the French Revolution and didn't have anything to do with it. all the problems that happened in Europe since then, or after 1776. So they actually solved the problem of the European imperialism by creating their own free trade country, you know, with the laws, with the constitution, with a, you right. know, with the separation of the church and the state, sure. you know, in a free and fair system where everyone was equal, you know? That, that was their ideology. So that that's um that happened before Europe then got into this this massive situation with the French and Louis the Sixth and all his his Um, his own revolution. So then that turned into Napoleon and that turned into the Congress system of the European powers and this is when the monarchy seized power again from Napoleon and Mm. that's when communism appeared, when they realized the situation in Europe was not going to change and that American um, independence was not going to solve the problem of European imperialism so they started to oppose it and then they started you know the trade unions um they started to strike revolt and you know try to create um constitutions in europe a couple, a couple of countries succeeded one of them was switzerland and it's funny like the generally the, speaking the example i keep sort of
0: coming back to and i don't know if this will resonate with you uh, at all uh but I'm it reminds me of a an interview I saw with Tupac Shakur, the American rapper, uh, where he's talking about poverty in uh in a city uh, Baltimore, I think it was, that he was he was from originally. Um and he's saying like it's in response to accusations of uh, African-Americans, uh, like rioting and looting or, or something along those lines. Uh, and he says, well, you know, it's it's quite simple, really. Like if you're starving hungry and you go up to society's door and you knock on the door and you say, please, can I have some food? And then society just doesn't answer the door. Then on the second day, you're going to come back and you're going to knock a little bit louder. And then society still doesn't open mm. the door. And then on the fifth or sixth day or twentieth day, then suddenly you're there with a battering ram, like banging it down. And everyone else is saying, <laughs> like, why are they rioting? Why are they looting? But it's the build up, isn't it? It's the not being listened to. It's the uh, uh, the disillusioning or, or disillusionment with with society. So in his scenario, he's talking about poverty and African Americans and uh, a deeply divided. Uh, uh united states but what you're talking about is not that dissimilar to that it's kind of people feeling disillusioned with the status quo uh like voicing their concerns in a sort of socialist kind of manner then when they're not listened to in that respect it it balloons into communism uh and then i suppose from there on you get into kind of like (laughs) this country versus that country like if you don't resolve these issues they don't just go away right
1: yeah, um, I mean yes, and it, exactly, and it has it has ballooned into capitalism. But if you look at the way that it happened, it's more like communism sought to create an alternative which was self-sufficient and didn't trade with with anything outside of itself, rather than being one country against another. Right, and that's the only reason, really, why the world managed to come through the Cold War period without going on because the two sides were so mutually exclusive. And that's had a big effect on the right and the left in world politics worldwide. So if you look at the British system, the conservatives represent the monarchy and the traditionalism, which all came from the money that those empires made and how it was reinvested and how it now works legally and ethically, et cetera, et cetera. but they represent the way that progress had to keep going. Because if you think about it, then communism broke away and formed an alternative. What are the original people supposed to do in terms of capitalism? They, they've just got to keep the whole ship floating, haven't they? Well, that, so that's what they, they did. and Yeah, that
0: and also I feel like there's a sort of self-preservation, like kind of, I don't know if protectionist is the right word, but there's a, you know, if you're, if you're an earl or a baron and you've got chests full of gold and, you know, all, all the riches that you've managed to secure in your pursuit of capitalism. Uh, and then there's discussions about socialism. Uh, I guess you would be more inclined to align with that kind of right-leaning ideology, you know?
1: Yes, yes. And And that's what added to the polarization in terms of human values. And that's what led to this real belief on one side or the other, that you were either a stakeholder in society Mm. and you were one of the king's men or you were a protector and a vision to want to create an alternative because the system was not working for you. Mm. But the way the system worked had its own problems um, and it created, you know, like an inside and an outside. So either you're a loyalist or you get out, really. You know, there's space for, for traitors and um, you know dissenters in a and, in a monarchy. And, is that there? there's no it's there's no space for um for for an alternative anyway.
0: It's really interesting to hear you talk about the history of these things because these are sort of archetypes or stereotypes that still uh, are, are perpetuated today and persevere today. Um, you know we don't have to comb too far or too deeply in the opinion pages of the telegraph or the mail uh to find those sort of stereotypes wheeled out it's it's like i mean boris johnson himself has uh like what he was heckled by somebody a few years ago and he turned around and said like lefty i don't know if he said lefty scum or lefty tosser or something but there's a real sort of there's some real stink on the tongue when when the right uh refer to sort of lefties as though they are savages and revolutionaries and they all walk around in like che Guevara t-shirts and uh and i suppose that all kind of goes back to um this idea that they're not being listened to and that they have no choice but to upend the status quo um
1: yeah i i think that the, the 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 um the left and the right have particular relationship which evolves over time, and that politicians on the left and right both their own understanding of this situation by using the common insult of the day. So, you know, the, the, the way that you insult your political opposition changes over time. My, my wife's father was the mayor of a town in Sicily, and he, was, he had a picture of Che Guevara on the wall of his hairdresser. Right. because he was a left wing and um this is maybe what's attracted me to this um you know to this this subject um and he was um there's a famous picture of him back where where he comes from of him cutting the hair of Pippo baddo who's a famous um TV presenter and um, in, in. anyway so the, the left uh, their own ways of, of abyism from the right Mm. and that the problem is really that the way that the whole left-wing thing works globally it was all about workers rights when it was about the soviet union you know when the soviet union was the top communist state it was all about the the problem with workers rights and human rights and now it's shifted to china being the top communist state it's more about people politics i don't know if you've noticed in britain this shift to people politics yeah and and this this goes back into, this is what I wanted to bring in with my history of the political parties in Britain, is that the way that the situation has gone back and forth between the two sides, um, the, the, you know, in other words, the way the situation evolved with, with the right being connected to the imperialist capitalist um, world and, and the, the monarchists and the church and the left being connected to the communists, the trade unions, mm-hmm. And the socialist movements. Um, The the right and the left represent different ideas, but the way that they change changes differently as well. And that's what's actually produced the the situation we have, or just had today in politics. Um, I think the Ukrainian issue has uh, very much reunited the, the parties and neutralize i think a lot of the fallout that's happened in recent years but they will be seeking to rebuild their position as labor and conservative but after that i think they stop working together perhaps over this um the tories go back to the old tory who were part of the cavalry movement during the English Civil War and the Whigs who evolved into the Liberal Party, that would be the you know the the Liberal Party we know, they evolved out the Whig movement who opposed and who purged the government of the Tories so there was this like Sith Jedi relationship between the two parties like in the first place. The Whigs purged all the Tories out of government but they managed to get back the Tories then came back, and then they purged the Whigs. And what happened was then the Labour Party emerged out of the trade union movement around 1900. To cut a long story short, the Labour Party appeared around 1900 and took over the Liberals, who became kind of irrelevant because the trade, you know, the, the trade union movement and the um, the workers acquired the vote in 1884. That meant that large numbers of people who couldn't vote for then got the vote, and a lot of them voted for Labour. So Labour became the primary party of the working classes. And then the Conservative Party then formed in 1912, would you believe it, out of the Whig Party. So effectively, oh, really? they've evolved out of the same party. So there's a lot of potential there for having a civilised relationship between... The liberals and the tory and the, the modern tories or the conservatives who then get nicknamed tories because of their heritage so yeah. the situation has thus gone back and forth between labor and the conservatives ever since then and the liberals haven't had a single government so the problem is then what with the russian revolution in 1917 the cold war creates the soviet union and all the left left door gets swung right out to the far left, doesn't it? And all that, you know, so, of course, there's got to be a reaction within the right.
0: I see. Okay, so let let me just play that back to you and just make sure I'm understanding correctly. So uh, the formation of the Soviet Union, because it subscribes to a a more extreme flavour of left wing politics, where everyone is, it's all about uh, the country. It's all about the common goods. It's not capitalist there's no not really such thing as private enterprise everything is about state owned state run blah 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 um and because of that and because that's so frightening to capitalism and to the status quo in places like Britain then you have the liberal party or the the left wing of the tories or whatever are then sort of seen as oh well you are you're like them you're communist right so then does that sort of propel them into political obscurity at that stage or
1: oh well you see okay so this is why there's a bit of a reaction for me at the moment because we never were the communists and what's happened now I mean the the conservatives evolved out of the liberals and the liberals always represented progress and improvement and the Tories all about the being the old, you know, monarchy, keep it the same and all that. Yeah. But then the modern conservatives evolved out of the liberals, and they've been saying, "Oh, you know, let me call me down, you know." Um. But now they're applying that to the liberals, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, you're um, if you're not, you know, if you're not right of centre, then. You know, then you've got to go. Yeah. And this is what mon- monarchisms, and this is what monarchism is all about." And I've, and I've looked at this, this um, political spectrum that we have now where you've got fascism, monarchism, liberalism, socialism, communism. Yeah. And it, it, th- there doesn't seem to be a centre to it at all if you've got the, the monarchists are taking the centre. But what I'm thinking is actually this doesn't actually make them right wing. And the right wing are trying to make it look like the monarchy is actually a right wing institution. But it never was. It just evolved out of the situation which emerged out of the Middle Ages.
0: Mm. Now, I thought time... you were gonna say it wasn't necessarily a right wing institution. It was more that it's just that people who lean right lo- like and are conservative with a small C and don't like change and don't want to upend. <laughs> it's just that it was there and they didn't want to, <laughs> they didn't want to change it.
1: No, no. What I mean is that the, the, the monarchy evolved out of the Middle Ages before this great big polarization happened, and and the, the the modern the way that modern politics has happened is polarized between the right and the left, because of communism and capitalism, has therefore polarized the whole relationship between all, all, all the people in it. So can I just can I just carry on a little bit sure, from, yeah, from yeah, the nineteenth? Okay. from If you take the situation from the 1917 Russian Revolution, you know, you've got the creation of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. So this automatically pushes Britain over onto the American side mm-hmm. because the, the big polarization really is between the Americans who had already solved this problem with the way that Europe was doing things before it polarized and therefore, they cannot tolerate the communist argument at all because it's it's absolutely nothing to do with them, and they don't want to get involved in it. And so, you've got all these countries kind of looking to America as kind of like the, a role model, you know, for how to do that. Yeah. And them shifting towards America is actually helping to take pressure off the situation. So, more free market economy is actually improving the wealth of these people. And then you've got a situation where the workers in the West have all this free time and money and leisure time, mm. and actually it's solved the problem that communism was talking about in the first place. So that's the Russian workers that are getting left behind. And that's what ultimately led to the fall of the Soviet Union. But if you think about how this problem is deeply embedded in how the whole world works, then you've got the shift China as communism is running its course in the East. And the shift to China now, as, as communism works its way into China and starts solving the problem of, there was a Chinese civil war between the communists and the nationalists. And because they were being invaded by Japan. So right. they've got, you know, different, different, totally different problems over there. And so what the, the communist system enabled China to do was to unite and defend itself and create a political economy, which was sustainable against the Japanese Empire, which had previously been backed by the European imperialists. Okay. So the Europeans, the Europeans were building up Japan, and Japan was probably about half the size of a European imperial power in the middle in the early modern period. So they they kind of they invaded China, they created their own state there, um, and they were kind of exploiting raw materials, which Japan finds very hard to get hold of. In those days. So the global situation polarizing means that it's moved entirely really away from the monarchy situation and the church. I mean, it was, if you think about, say, like the period 1000 AD to 1500, it's all about the church. In Europe, it's all about the Catholic Church and the power of the Holy Roman Emperor. And then you've got the rise of these big European imperial powers. And really, you've got. Um, the, the church is desperately trying to hang on to Europe's center. then you've got Protestant Reformation. Mm. So, what I'm saying is that in the modern period, it was all about the European imperial powers. And then, you know, the, the, the church got left behind, it got sort of isolated and, and stranded And by the way that those big European powers created progress until they were just out of its control. And then in the modern period, again, you've got the polarization. Of and capitalists. So really, the church and the monarchy are not so much on the right side or the left side; they're more on the capitalist side.
0: Right. I I I'm struggling to get my head around it. Did you see I, what I
1: mean? <laughs> well,
0: I can see. I can see how the church and the monarchy would be left behind as sort of institutions that benefited from. Uh, a sort of bygone era and then that then as these um uh, kind of self-governing european uh, imperialistic entities sprung up and grew their empires that the idea of having to subscribe to church ideology would kind of be like well why like why do we have to do that let's let's keep let's keep growing let's keep growing let's become wealthy um i don't know how i like how how do you then fit the church and royalty into that sort of capitalist uh, model there where the the uh, european countries are succeeding along as kind of capitalist or like viper capitalist kind of lane so where do the where yeah. does the monarchy and uh, the church fit into
1: that well okay i mean first of all they managed to survive because of the polarization between east and west first of all okay. because the west had the 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 french revolution and the monarchies took power after that necessarily failed because the way that it all happened and they've been clever in that sense that they managed to shut that down and they ruled europe in the 1800s again when really if the world had been more united they would have created political progress which would have led to a people's parliament in the first place so first of all you've got to consider the world is divided into between east and west initially because of the way that humans evolved out of africa so then you've got the political and economic and religious situation this has created as a as a new level of civilization you know as a new period and then you've got the the way that the monarchies have managed the situation Um, the russian monarchy resigned actually, at the end of World War I. Um, And they they were overthrown by the Bolsheviks. The German Kaiser resigned after World War II. Um, The Italian monarch got kicked out. The French got kicked out. There's only, I think it's Holland, Britain, Spain. There's only a few countries now left with a constitutional monarchy who've managed to survive by defending the government from rogue governments, basically by kind of... Yeah, that, that... That's all they
0: do, really. That and the fact that they effectively gave up their power, right? So it's a nice little tale that we like to tell ourselves that they, they... that the Queen could basically call Boris Johnson to Buckingham Palace and say, come on, you're not you're not leading my country, right? So I will now get rid of you. But that would just never happen. She's a, a nice old lady uh, and and I you know, as far in it I'm not so much of a diehard lefty that I would want the royal family strung up in the town square. I'm not that bad, but uh I don't think like she she's about as good as I would ex- expect a monarch to be. Uh but I don't think well, she has any power uh, at all. I think if you look at the way that she's they, they... been treated and disrespected over, over the last like five years. I think if she had any power she would have stamped her feet and done something by now
1: okay from what i've heard there are still a few games going on between the right and the left like for example somebody said that all, all the right-wing conservatives take all their money out of the country when there's a labor government mm. to help it to fail because they they, they want labor to succeed and another thing that i i heard in the news actually was the the queen has the right to go through all the laws that are being proposed by the prime minister and actually reject them before they actually go before parliament. That's that was something that shocked me.
0: Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to read up on that a bit. I mean, if that is true, that's quite amazing because I thought that the whole idea of having a constitutional monarch was that it was effectively to guard against that those situations that we had seen in other countries where the monarch was effectively dragged out and beheaded or, or some shit. Uh, so it was like, okay, right. look, I will, I'll still be king or I'll still be queen, but I just won't, you know, you'll let me live in a nice big house with a, a crown and everything, but I just won't interfere. I won't meddle at all. So the idea that she actually still has some sort of say behind closed doors to me feels a little bit fanciful but i might be perhaps that sort of wishful thinking and in, in my left-leaning sensibilities where i'm like i don't, <laughs> okay. don't want an unelected queen or king like meddling but um anyway sorry i'm going way off okay, on the tangent well, here you you carry on
1: okay we'll read up on that because i th- I think there's definitely something going on there and the other thing was about the uh, the fact that a power. So I don't know if that's just some left-wing journalist trying to stir up something in the news. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm just saying that there are, you know, there are a few games that are going on between the two sides Mm. and that the right-wing definitely have their own people. If you think about all the lords and the earls and the people in there and all the fox hunters, I guess, um, you know, you've got the... um, Maybe the fox-hunting Tories are the people, you know, who are essentially in the cooking pot of these... um, you know, these conspiracy theories. And then on the left, you've got the labor unions and you've got the people who are perhaps connected to communism, um, socialist movements, communist parties. You know, you've got some real agitators Mm. and some real, you know, people that actually want to stir up trouble in the news. So there are, you know, to a certain extent, there are two sides still going on. Um, But anyway, can I get to the the final third third of my... Okay, the material that I prepared. Okay, now this is on the problem with the way the world works that has continued through history, through the modern period, through post-modernity, and people don't see it because of the way that it's happened. But global leaders do, because they're on that level where they actually have to know all this stuff. And basically, okay, you know the Russian Revolution? Nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Was actually started by the German government. Right. Like in a sort Did you of know un- that?
0: underhand way, or. Like...
1: Yes, in right. a very underhand way, okay. in the sense that this man, who I've got, it. Wikipedia this because he's on. There is actually a big article about this man, and his his communist alias was Parvus. And he was, a, he was a businessman who started an arms dealing company in Turkey. And he worked with the German ambassador to the Turkish government because he worked with the Turkish government. And he persuaded him to give him an audience in Berlin about sending Lenin and all of that lot back into Russia with arms and money to create a Bolshevik revolution. Okay. <laughs> and the Russian Revolution didn't actually spontaneously eru- erupt out of the Russian people, as a lot of people believe. Yeah. It was actually set up entirely by the German government. And... But then it anyway, like, do we know um, this? Is this? Is this documented? How... how... Because
0: it seems This like... is
1: documented, is you it? can... I'm so naive... In you can get order. this on wiki... Yeah. Right. His real name was Israel Lazarevich Gelfand and he is also known as Help Hand in literature on the Russian Revolution Wow! because he was the, he was the initiator of the whole plot. Um, he studied um, he studied at Basel University. He was born in Belarus by the way um, but became su- subject to scrutiny by the Russian secret police with Marxist views and left for Germany, where he joined the social democratic party and became friends with the revolutionary Rosa Luxemburg, who was a friend of Lenin's. And then Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Leibniz started the Spartacist uprising in Germany with Russian money once once the communists had taken control of Russia. So that's what led to the rise of fascism in Europe. Wow. And that's what led to the wanting of the the Western powers to create a strong buffer state in Germany against the Soviet Union, and the, the Germans got loads of support from the West in the yeah. in the in the form of bank loans. You know the Nazis got funding, and they got um, steel, and they got vehicles. You know, supported by Western European and U.S. industrialists. Mm not realizing that they were fueling this fire which was about to erupt because of the polarization within global politics this is
0: so like so it's so fucked isn't it because it's like not to go back to um uh to my gcse history kind of stuff but you kind of like my i mean maybe i was taught this stuff and i've just forgot it since i left school but my recollection of being taught the backgrounds to european wars uh is just that it was a bad thing that happened and like a lot of the germans were baddies and then they you know the nazi party were elected and and then a, a horrible war took place where a bunch of spitfires flew across <laughs> across and and the battle for britain and then we won and yeah great okay um but it's it's the 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 nuance and uh, the, as you mentioned, like the, the sort of ugly industrialist angles of this, where it's like you are like you are ma- I mean, I don't know if they knew what they were investing in or what they were selling to uh, to to Hitler's Germany or whatever ahead t- of time, but it's quite. I can totally imagine that sort of stuff happening where they're just like, yeah, I mean, they seem a bit dodgy, but look, look here, they're going to buy like. $1.5 million worth of this off us, you know? And and we, we sort of see echoes of that now in terms of, like, sanctions, like the, the conversations that have come out in the last couple of days about sanctions on Russia, where people are saying, like, right, we need to implement serious sanctions, and then, all, like, immediately you've got businesses, business leaders from, like, Italy and France and, and all across Europe saying, whoa, 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 like, hang on a second, hang on. I mean, yes to sanctions, but, like, our business is going to go under if you do that. So can we just, maybe we just hold back on sanctions and let, you know, it's like the, the greed or the the need for financial security seems to kind of, that always comes up first, doesn't it?
1: Okay. The, 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 the West became polarised over this as well. That certain people were terrified of the communists. They saw the size of the Soviet Union. And what they'd done to Russia. They'd overthrown the government. And they were scared about the possibility of a revolution and, particularly, the Russians exporting the revolution. Now, they had obviously spies going on in those days, and the Russians were divided between Stalin and Trotsky to take over from Lenin. And Trotsky wanted to export the revolution, the, the permanent revolution, he called it. And the Eternal Revolution, and um, and Stalin was the editor of the newspaper, and he wanted to build up Russia's position before they could be in a position to challenge anyone. And he won the for stability, but you know, for a while, people were scared of Russia literally just becoming a base for the revolution globally. Mm. And they did manage to successfully export the revolution to many states in Southeast Asia and in Africa. And especially dissatisfied former European colonies. So this takes us into the Cold War, doesn't it? Period. And what's happened really then is that since the end of at the end of World War One, you could say, yes, it was messed up. Um at the end of World War at the end of World War II, the UN formed to take the global situation away from the events which had dominated the early 20th century. Mm. So what you've got there is an organization which is encouraging the world to communicate and to, to not let that breakdown down in civilization happen again. But if you, if you want to look at the way that that breakdown happened, really, it happened okay, primarily because of the East-West divide, which had led to the Europeans obviously taking over a whole new continent and this kind of destabilized the global political situation. Uh, because it made it very one-sided um, towards the Europeans, which then divided between themselves into the capitalists and the communists, um, you could say that's what led to the Cold War. And in effect, that's made the situation very complex, but because the people in power understand this, mm. it's under control. And that's that sort of brings us to today. I think people are thinking... Uh, okay it's okay now it's under control you know because we've got the nuclear bomb and all that sort of thing it's really serious but then you think oh hang on a minute oh because they've got it under control anything about anything can i ever because it's all got to be kept under control and i think that's the problem today people have got today and it's frustrating young people who are out in the streets protesting you know about the fact that they don't have a voice and the fact they don't understand how it how it all works i think that i mean that's Really, what what I found, why I wanted to, to write this, this book in the first place was because I wanted to know actually what was happening. And I think people have got to do that first before they can do anything about it. Though, first of all, they've got to understand how the situation came into existence and how it works. I mean, like, like any situation, you'd have to analyze first before taking any sort of action. You've got people out there banging their heads against cars and throwing petrol the situation works but on the other hand they've got no idea what they're actually implying i want do their actions so i mean worldwide there's people protesting all over the world about the way that it works but actually understanding how it actually works so i was thinking maybe people did actually have an idea about you know how it works maybe then we could discuss how it works but without that you've just got the pros and the antis haven't you you've got the 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 you know the official government force and the anarchists and the you know you've got the other people whatever yeah. it is
0: yeah i th- i think you're right i think i mean it's it's almost something of a cliche now to kind of say uh that, like could we all stand back a little bit and just take a deep breath and then try to understand each other a little bit more and and to to understand that there are extremes on both sides uh and and then try to work together <laughs> um but i i almost feel like the examples that you've so surreal- you hear me yeah i can hear you can you hear me okay i know the sound has been a bit dodgy green yeah i i think i can hear you again Neil. i keep losing you a bit Okay. Yeah. Um Okay. So yeah, I I, th- I think I was just sort of saying that like that as as there are extremes on both sides and we all sort of implore each other like beg each other to look at the nuances and to appreciate each other and listen to each other. Um I don't know. I mean, do you think do you think we will ever get to a point where enough of the population are interested even in listening to like quote unquote the other side and understanding that there are different like that there's a reason why let's say your brother might go conservative or your sister might go lib dem or greens or and and then actually coming together rather than just kind of mocking each other or do you think we're just always doomed to misunderstand and not really be interested in understanding each other
1: um i I think the problem might each other, and actually, we, we should all be trying to understand the situation because the the, the answer really is in the, in the structure the structure of history. Do you see what I mean? There is this this complexity to the way that events have happened, mm. which means that post modernity, the whole post modern period between World War Two and the present, has been characterised by the world moving from the problems which cause World War One Two. So in order to move beyond that. Oh dear. Our
0: our signal is uh is not doing so well tonight. Um I uh, I keep losing emails, so you, so we, get... uh-huh. we I keep losing you. You keep freezing a little bit. Ooh. Um, so um, I don't know. Let's let's try one more time, and um, and and if if we freeze again, then we might have to uh, knock it on the head. I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, sorry. Carry on with your your answer before. I think you were saying it's not necessarily about um understanding each other. It's about understanding
1: structures and and the way right. things move. Um. In, okay. In post, but well, what, what, okay, what I'm saying is that, that um, can you can you hear me, Aid? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. In the structure of the whole situation, anybody can work their way up and understand it and become a national leader if they want to. But the the key is in this understanding the structure of the situation and the whole history of the whole situation, because the answer doesn't lie in the other side. The the, the, the the fact that the situation has polarized indicates that there must be a reason why that has happened. And I could say, you know, honestly, that's what was buggy college was that we did not seem to have the full story. No matter what we did, we couldn't get the whole story out of our education system because it only had half the story. Because we our whole country was only was on one side or the other. So We've got globalization. We've got people really want to understand the structure of the whole situation. What's happening now with this Anthropocene is that scientists are proposing that we actually reclassify the way in which we see periods of human history by adding a new picture, uh, um, a new piece, you know, to the to the the series of ages. So the current, all the periods that we've had of human history so far have been in the Holocene. And that's from about 4,200 years ago when Egypt became the first civilization to unite. And that leads all the way through all those civilizations through the world order into postmodernity. And now what we're saying is we need to entirely go beyond that, a much more objective perspective. And that's the shift which is currently happening now. So it will come out what has happened, all of what has happened. I mean, I I managed to put it in the book, but you know, in terms of government, in terms of the way we talk about life, in terms of the way that people relate to each other, is all coming now into a new human, humanistic. It's just that the problem then, what position will be in within that, bearing in mind, the fact that the way the situation has had to work in the past, that's becoming, you know, that's becoming the new issue. Do you, do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I mean, it sounds to me like it's 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 about sort of understanding uh, a a sort of a, a pattern style shift that takes place every now and then uh, and that period can fluctuate. That can be a, a lengthy period where an entire civilization might collapse, or it could be a shift from, uh, like, a a, tradi- a traditional conservative party to a, a Labour party. Um, and it's about understanding those, those shifts and managing them in as best way as you can, whilst also understanding that maybe on a broader scale, things are going to, like... I, I forget the names of the um the periods that you've mentioned, the um post postmodern period and then we're going into yeah. the anthro correct me, sorry, I've forgotten that.
1: The okay, the Anthropocene yeah. is an idea that was developed it's being developed by and they're going to put this before the International Union of Geological Sciences next year because I was I've emailed them to talk about it ask them what they're doing. And what they're doing is they're reclassifying periods of human development Mm. into stages in which they've had an impact on the environment. So because particularly they want to prove the argument for global warming and climate change and all that sort of thing, they've got to argue that humans started off very slowly having an impact. But even as far back as Mesopotamia, farmers could graze whole valleys with their sheep and leave them barren. Mm -hmm. and leave them uninhabitable and that this this has been building up this effect that we've had has been building up over time and gradually now we could wipe out the whole planet with our nuclear bombs so what they're saying is that the structure of global society has evolved now sufficiently to say that we're entering a new age this new human age was before the structure of human history evolved in this subjective way you know, it evolved as the world, you know, formed. And, I mean, what I'm proposing in this book is that the implications of really post-modernity is that we we have a problem then finding a way of going beyond that. What happens when the structure of post-modernity changes significantly enough in relation to the way that periods have evolved in general to constitute a new period? That's the big question there, because... The way that postmodernity evolves must evolve at some point into something else, or else it would be post-postmodernity, which is a bit of a ridiculous concept. <laughs> so the way that the um, the way that scientists are addressing this issues now is is what they're doing is when the um, when early humans evolved in the you know the ice age cycle. Yeah. Yeah you know that you know the the glacial cycles. It emerged out of the background of Earth history. So you've got these periods where um, the, the, it was actually North and South America joined together, and the it cut the warm Pacific currents off from the Atlantic. And it meant that the Gulf Stream was the only thing that was warming the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And, um, and this set in motion, the cycle of glacial periods, which became known as the Quaternary period. Now humans evolved within this period, and there are two um, um, two periods of that, and one of them goes back several thousand years, and the that's called the, the Pleistocene. And then the Holocene is the period involving all the periods of human civilizations which have happened from about 4,200 years ago. So when all this is the anthropocene because of the human humans have now taken over the tree and now one and the same thing, and that we must regard ourselves as being um we must be able to see ourselves in this object way now because we've got satellite and we've got, um, you know, we've got television, you know, we've got all these things that enable us to see ourselves as a species on this planet and it now matters that we do that because of the the power that we've got to upset the environment and the need to take responsibility for our actions logically follow from the events of post-modernity. Do you see what I mean No. In terms of the, the evolution of periods, Yes. That there is a continuity.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think I understand. Um, but I am I'm acutely aware that uh I've I've got to get back inside my house, Neil. <laughs> I've got to I've got to run off. Right. But uh but yeah, no, thank you very much for for joining us tonight. Um we've been we've been gassing away for a while. Um uh if anyone wants to to check out Neil's book, and you absolutely should, uh it is called Postmodernity and the creation of the Anthropocene, uh, how our current period evolved out of history and where it is going. And it's available on Waterstones. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode of uh, Fuck This Week, where I'll be going over uh, the events of the week. Um, Hopefully it won't be as catastrophic and depressing as this week. Uh, And I'll be back next uh, Friday night with another guest, who I have yet to book, but I will do and uh yeah if you're interested in the podcast or you want to support it or you're in a position to support it then uh, please do jump on to uh, buy me a coffee slash aid thompson or um uh, patreon.com slash aid thompson is good too um no pressure to do so but if you did want to uh, play a small role in uh, the ongoing uh roaring success of this podcast then uh, that would be great um and i'll catch up with you all soon thanks once again to my guest tonight neil pitts and uh yep yeah, see you all soon ciao for now bye